Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Perceptions held by law enforcement and the public differ greatly, especially when both groups are asked about deadly police encounters. That's according to a Pew Research Center national survey in 2016. Coming up, author and retired New Haven cop Shafiq Abdusabur will join us to talk about the relationship between the police and the public. We're talking about this today after news late Friday that a Bridgeport police officer will not be charged in the shooting death of a Hispanic teen, 15-year-old Jason Negron. He was killed last May. In her report, Waterbury State's attorney Maureen Platt said the investigation concluded the use of force by Bridgeport police officer James Boulay was appropriate. Are you a resident of Bridgeport? What's your reaction to this decision? How has Negron's death impacted the community? How will Bridgeport residents and city officials move forward from this incident? We want to hear from you, 860-275-7266. You can email where we live at WMPR.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. For more about the decision by the Waterbury State's attorney, joining me now by phone is Tara O'Neill. She's a breaking news reporter for the Connecticut Post. Tara, welcome to the show. Thanks. So what we know, uh, for those of us not in Bridgeport but who followed this story, uh, Jason Negron was 15 when he was shot and killed by this Bridgeport police officer, James Boulay, on May 9th, 2017. Uh, tell us about that day. Um, how did this happen? Sure. Um, so what we know both from the report and myself being on shift that day when it happened was at around 5 o'clock, Um, there was a marked police car that was following what had been a reported stolen Subaru Forester. And it was later found out that the driver was 15-year-old Jason Negron and his passenger. And about two minutes after five um, is kind of when stuff got crazy. So one of the officers in the car, he was the passenger in the marked police car, he had gotten out after Jason had turned the wrong way down a one-way street, and they had activated their sirens and their lights to have him pull over, um, and he still tried to drive away. So when Officer Boulay got out of his car and approached the stolen vehicle, he went up on the driver's side, you know, and is telling Jason to get out of the car. Um, According to Platt's report, that's when Jason drove forward and crashed into a car that was in front of him. Then that is when Boulay opened the door, tried to get Jason out of the car, both verbally and physically. And Jason managed to put the car into into reverse, excuse me, and hit the gas. And that's when Boulay was hit by the door. His statement says he was losing his footing. He felt like he had to fear for his life and didn't have another choice, and he fired his weapon. Um, and then from there, all these police officers arrived at the scene, um, ambulances were called, and the rest is kind of history. 
Uh, Tara, that report from the Waterbury State's attorney, uh, very extensive. We have a link on our website at wmpr.org uh, slash uh, where, we, where we live. Um, I understand before the officer uh, reached the car, he actually fired his gun into one of the tires. That's what the, the Waterbury State's attorney's report said uh, before he attempted yeah. to take uh, Jason Negron out of the car. Um, also, what's interesting about uh, this report, there have been extensive uh, witness statements included, uh, and um, something that people focus on often is uh, the age of this, this young man, or this young boy that was killed. But what do we know about this police officer? How long was he within the city of the Bridgeport Police Force? So he is what a lot of people have referred to as a rookie cop. He started on the force in September of 2016. Um, so he, he hadn't even been on the force about a year. So I know that's something a lot of people have taken issue with, that maybe, you know, his training wasn't up to par or anything like that. But, I mean, other than that, you know, not much was really known about him. I know very vaguely that there was a lawsuit um, filed against him unrelated to this shooting. It was shortly after this shooting happened on May 9th that someone actually filed it. And the incident had occurred, I believe it was November 2016. And I'm not well-versed enough on the lawsuit to speak much to it. Mm -hmm. But all I know is it is against James Boulay and I believe a couple other Bridgeport police officers for what was described in that lawsuit as a possible excessive use of force. Um, other than that, we know after the shooting, James Boulay was placed on administrative leave with the department. Um, he did return for a very brief time and was doing desk duty, which is a normal thing for him to be cleared for in a situation like this where an investigation is still ongoing. Uh, but he, he actually was, as the chief explained to us, um, not, not really able to handle that. And he left work again. Um, so the, the chief of police, A.J. Perez, has consistently explained that James Soleil is definitely having a difficult time dealing with this. So I think that's, that's something a lot of people might not realize. Tara O'Neill is a breaking news reporter for the Connecticut Post. Uh, as we again, we talk about the decision from the Waterbury State's attorney came out a Friday afternoon that no charges uh, will be filed against uh, this officer, James Boulay, in the shooting death of a 15-year-old, Jason Negron, last May. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Tara, can we talk about uh, contradictions and how this incident was reported to the community and how that may have contributed to this distrust? Um, this is obviously a tragic incident, uh, lots of people affected, but what were some of the missteps and how this information from what happened was conveyed to the community? So I I think a lot of people were off the bat definitely very tense about it. Um, Something that was widely reported and a lot of people know was that Jason's body was left uncovered on the street for several hours. Um, And it's been explained by several different law enforcement officials that because a different agency had to come in and take control of the investigation, the Bridgeport Police Department didn't want to cover the body and obstruct any kind of evidence. Um, And a lot of people said, yes, it did take them a lot of time to bring in these um, barriers that kind of acted as a shield around his body. But so I think from right off the bat, people 
were already upset with the situation um, and already wanted answers specifically for why he was left out and, of course, why it happened. There was also a video um, that surfaced uh, of of uh, Jason Negron laying in the street and, and um, what the police chief uh, had said in terms of uh, what happened? Sure. Um, so the chief of police had told the family that Jason had been shot in the head, and I, I think within a week of the shooting happening, it was all over social media. This video that, you know, seemed just like it was shot on someone's cell phone from the Walgreens parking lot, which is right outside where the shooting happened. And it showed Jason Negron, you know, face down on the pavement, handcuffed, but very clearly still moving, still breathing, still alive. So, you know, of course his family sees this, and it's it's tragic. Um, you know, they see that he wasn't shot in the head. He was shot somewhere else and very clearly alive minutes after the shooting. Um, so that, that stirred up a lot of problems, and I think that's when the Bridgeport Police Department decided that they needed this investigation by the state police to just be done, and they, they needed to not talk about it because I think, you know, the more word gets out there about what happened from Bridgeport Police, if it doesn't match up with what comes out from state police later on, then that causes a lot of problem. I, I think it was word of mouth that just was incorrect. Um, and the, the chief of police did come out several times and apologize profusely for misspeaking, but I, I, th- that was definitely something that I know the, strug- the family struggled with, not knowing the truth from right off the bat. That video um, also uh, contributed to uh, criticism that uh, there, was, there was, that there, the met, there was emergency responders that weren't able to um, come to the scene as quickly as possible. What did the Waterbury State's attorney uh, say in her report in terms of response time? So according to the report, within 12 seconds of the shooting happening at 5.02, ambulances are called to the scene within 12 seconds. And it, it does take a while for the ambulance to get there, but what's factored in in the report and just, you know, thinking of it yourself Bridgeport is a congested city. You know, it's rush hour. It's 5 o'clock. So that, I think, is definitely a factor in this. And the first medic, um, he's actually a paramedic supervisor, was the first one to arrive on scene. And he went to assess both Jason and his passenger. He assessed Jason first, and he actually pronounced him dead. And... So then after he pronounced him dead, he went over and provided treatment for the passenger. The passenger was taken in an ambulance, and he left the scene at 520. Um, And another thing that I definitely think was important for people to know was over, I believe it's an eight-minute period of time, there's a recording of the Bridgeport Police Department dispatch that's included in the report that you can verbally hear at least five times, officers on the scene asking that the medics be stepped up, that they be expedited so they could get there quicker. Um, And there was one officer on the scene who, before the ambulance arrived, was trying to check on Jason Negron, was trying to see if there was anything he could do. And he even asked his 
um, superior officer if he could unhandcuff him in any sort of effort to help. But the supervisor actually told him not to touch him because they didn't want to make his injuries any worse. How has the Negron family responded to this decision again by the Waterbury State's attorney to, to not uh, press charges in the shooting death of, of uh, Jason Negron? They're definitely struggling with it. I mean, it's something that they've waited for for months, and I, I think for them, they're just kind of looking for closure. So closure to them is this police officer facing some sort of criminal charges. And I, I know... Once the family was given the decision at the Waterbury Courthouse, um, Jason Negron's half-sister, Jasmarie Melendez, came out of the courthouse. She was in tears. She, she said he, he had gotten off. They weren't going to charge him. And um, Jason's family just kind of got together and just all hugged each other, and they were all crying. But, I mean, they, they've taken their pain and their frustration, and they've channeled it into these rallies and these protests that have been not just about Jason Necron, but about all other, you know, young teens and just young people who have been shot and killed by cops. And I, I think it's, it's really given them kind of like a purpose for them to channel this, this way that they're feeling. Uh, nearly 400 people turned out for protests, peaceful protests, uh, Friday evening after this decision uh, was announced. Uh, what are the next steps in the community? What have you been hearing from city residents? Um, so from the protests that turned out in Bridgeport, uh, they they said that this kind of isn't over for them. So the the family and a couple of activist organizations who have been with the family for these months doing these rallies and these protests, they, they have spoken about going to Rocky Hill, which is where the chief state's attorney, Kevin Kane, is actually based, and they want to demand that he reopen the investigation and, I guess, reinvestigate. Um, now, legally, I'm not sure how that actually works. I'm not sure if that's an option, but it's, it's for them, that's their next step, and I, I'm sure... We should expect more rallies from them. We should expect more demonstrations because they're, they seem very determined. Tara O'Neill is a Connecticut Post reporter who covers breaking news. Tara, uh, thanks for joining us. And again, you can see that report on our website from the Waterbury State's Attorney at wmpr.org slash where we live. Tara, thanks again. Thanks. Coming up, we're going to hear from a community activist in Bridgeport and a retired police officer. How has the story of Jason Negron impacted city residents and the relationship with city officials, including the police? We'll take your calls after the break, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at WNPR.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Eight months ago, a Bridgeport teen driving a stolen car was killed by a city officer after a police pursuit. On Friday, a state prosecutor released the findings of an investigation into the shooting death of 15-year-old Jason Negron by Officer James Boulay. 
That happened last May. Waterbury State's attorney Maureen Platt says the evidence points to Officer Boulay being justified in the use of force after his interaction with Negron. About 400 protesters turned out Friday night for a peaceful protest of Platt's decision to not charge the officer in the death of Negron. Here's his sister, Jasmine Melendez, talking to WVIT. This decision doesn't break us. This decision doesn't make us feel weak. We fought so hard for Jason up until this point, and we're going to keep fighting for Jason. Both Bridgeport Mayor Joe Gannam and Police Chief A.J. Perez issued statements expressing sympathy for the Negron family. Chief Perez says he's committed to building bridges with the community as it goes through this difficult healing process. Now, if you live in Bridgeport, we want to hear from you. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining me uh, by phone now is Carolyn Vermont. She's a community leader and facilitator for the group Working for a Better Bridgeport. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So how would you describe uh, the feelings in Bridgeport today um, after this decision on Friday by the Waterbury State's attorney? Again, this was more than eight months ago that that this teen was tragically killed. Uh, A long time coming for this report. How are people feeling? So some of the residents that I have spoken to are very angry. Although the state findings indicate that the officer opened fire because he felt that his life was threatened, some still feel that he did not have to open fire, which resulted in the loss of a life. And then there are others that have concluded, based on the report, that the youth was in the wrong and that we, have, as a community, have basically failed him, um, that somehow we allowed him to fall through the cracks. So, you know, many are continuing um, you know, the mission at a greater pace right now to save our youth. You mentioned, uh, we hear that you're a facilitator for working for Better Bridgeport. What's this group about? When did it form? So basically, working for Better Bridgeport um, started back in May uh, 2017. The day after Jason uh, Jason Negron's death, the mayor and the chief held a press conference and invited some community leaders, some clergy, Uh, city council members. And so after that press conference, um, some indicated that they would like to continue the conversation. The mayor and the chief, they also um, decided at that point or shared that they would like to continue the conversation also. So basically that's how the group formed. So we we started meeting every single Friday morning. um, And then in recent months, we've been meeting Fridays per month. Uh, do you feel our citizens, uh, what is their response to, again, uh, what the mayor and the police chief have said? Do they feel like it's more than just rhetoric? No. Well, for this particular group, Working for a Better Bridgeport, and, you know, the group is comprised of leaders of nonprofit organizations that work with youth, clergy, um, the city council members that represent the district, you know, where Jason died, and also city of Bridgeport staff and the mayor and the police chief you know they attend each meeting and so at that meeting we have the opportunity to share suggestions and we do get feedback what is doable what is not and we also get an update on action plan from the chief and the mayor so some of the things that we have asked for as a group is um, for uh, the officers to have body cams and dash cams and so uh, those will be implemented in a week or two. Also, there will be an increase in uh, de-escalating and sensitivity training. 
So as far as, you know, that roundtable, that group, uh, we certainly have made progress on some of the things that we have suggested. Uh, the wider community, I um, some may have a different perspective. Everyone at that table goes back, so we have clergy, so they go back to their congregation and share the information from that table. Those from the nonprofit organizations go back and share the information with the youth and with their community. So for those who are getting the information, I think they do see that we are making some progress. Um, I think others may still just are so angry at this point. I mean, we have been so paralyzed by the death of black males across the nation, you know, by law enforcement. And so I think for someone, they look at this happening in Bridgeport with this male of color, um, they're still feeling that anger and that um, they're still feeling paralyzed as if, okay, is this going to keep happening and we can't really do anything about it? It won't get any better. You made a, a comment earlier, uh, Carolyn Vermont, again, she's a facilitator for working for a better Bridgeport. Uh, you made the comment that uh, there's the feeling in the community that the community failed Jason Negron. There may be other Jasons uh, that the community has not been able to reach. I mean, how do you get to those youth? So right now, um, we do have Dr. Maisa Akbar. She's an author of Urban Trauma. And she's also been working with the New Haven Police Department and the city of New Haven on their crime reduction efforts. So earlier this month, we held a meeting with youth serving organizations to basically identify gaps in services. And then uh, next month, February, we will be uh, holding a session with these um, youth service providers to really start talking about trauma and focusing on strategies to work with the community when they're traumatized by an incident such as this uh, with Jason Negron and also the other youth in the community um, who are murdered at the hands of each other, some of them. So, you know, we do know that our community is in crisis here in Bridgeport when it comes to youth violence. And so we really want to equip those working with youth with the tools that are necessary to help youth to work through the trauma. In addition, um, there are workshops set up on what to do when you're stopped by the police. I um, have conducted some workshops myself with youth and uh, sometimes I'll say to them, what if you're walking down the street and a police officer pulls up, what would you do? And the response is usually run. And I said, why would you run if you haven't done anything? Um, but there's this fear in the youth that, well, if a police officer stopped me, things will get really bad. So we have to really change their mindset and for them to recognize that officers are here to protect and serve. Certainly there are officers out there who are just not just. But I think overall, when we look at police officers in Bridgeport, we do know that our officers are here to protect and serve us. I want to bring in the perspective of someone who knows uh, firsthand what it's like to be a member of law enforcement. Shafiq Abdusabur is now retired uh, from the city of New Haven. He was a police sergeant and author of, a, of the book, A Black Man's Guide to Law Enforcement in America. He joins me in studio. Thanks for coming in, Shafiq. Thank you, Lucy. What's your response uh, to what Carolyn is saying and just your overall reaction uh, to the story of Jason Negron? 
So good morning, Carolyn. How you doing? Good morning. So good to hear your voice. Yes, thank you. So, you know, the the death of Jason Negron, my my heart goes out to the family and um and to the officer and his family as well. You know, this is a police-related shootings of anybody, especially when somebody loses their life, it's a community tragedy. You know, it it certainly impacts that family greater than it does the outlining community. Um, But often what I've been learning over the last 10 years uh, being involved in a lot of aspects of, of law enforcement is it also impacts the officer's family. And in all of that, begins to have a, a significant negative impact on our overall community wellness. So here we have a young man who is shot and dies as a result of this shooting and 15 years old, which is literally just shocked the conscience of the community. That's, that's how I've been able to process it is that we are not ready to have a 15-year-old child shot and killed by the police under any circumstance. We, we want to see it handled differently. Uh, on the other end, law enforcement is trained to handle threats in a very particular way. And there's guidelines around that, and we have wrapped laws around that, and we have wrapped policies around that. And so I see it that the process is still developing. You know, uh, the recent use of force bill that was established back in or signed into government in Connecticut back in 2015 was put together by minority legislators that took these fatal police shootings out of the hands of the individual departments and said, hey, listen, if your officer gets involved in a shooting, we want the state to come in. We don't want your officers investigating. The police can't police themselves. And we don't want the local state prosecutor and state's attorney's office investigating it. We want somebody else because we want more transparency and we kind of, we want to kind of break this thing up, right? And that's what we saw in the Negron investigation. The state police came in and investigated. That's correct. The so, Waterbury state's that's attorney. That's correct. So here's some so here are some things that still need to be fixed. The things that still need to be fixed is that when the state police comes in and investigates this, the first thing that happens is person dies on the scene. Because the person dies on the scene, the person now technically becomes evidence. Their body under the state law and regulation can't be moved. So those officers' job in that department where it happened is now just to preserve the crime scene, which is why we see uh, Jason Negron, after the shooting, he dies on scene and he's left there. So the community's outcry was, oh, my God, oh, my God, how did you leave this kid in the street for three hours, four hours? Well, the state police has to mobilize their unit out of Brainerd Airport, Air, Airport area and drive all that equipment to, to Bridgeport. To mobilize it and get it there takes about four hours, maybe three if they're rushing. If it has been Waterbury or most any place in the state, it's going to take that time to get there. In the meantime, what can the local officers do? Not much. They could maybe put up a tent or try to curtain off the uh, people from seeing, but it's there. And, and the people know that incident has happened. What do you do in the meantime? Well, a lot of departments not really prepared in the meantime because – 
you just don't know what's going to happen. There's some things you could do, right? There, you could have emergency response teams around community building that are ready to respond and talk to people in the meantime. But listen, when somebody's family member is shot and killed, it's chaos. It's just on every level. It's a catastrophic event that's happening to you emotionally. So now that you've got four-hour delay or two-hour delay, three-hour delay, community doesn't understand that. The state police come in, they do the investigation. There's a period of a time that has to, there has to be a wait time. I think that um, some conversations I had with state, uh, state's uh, representative Robin Porter wanted that process expedited. No, no one-year investigation. Let's get it a little faster so that the community could have closure and, and critique and et cetera. Um, but now we're at a place now, right, where here's the decision. Here's all the information. Here's pictures. Um, here's it's online. I, mean, I remember when when Malik Jones got shot and killed. His father, uh, Jimmy Jones, is a good friend of mine. I got a copy of the uh, Malik Jones decision before it was released, and it came to me in a binder with no pictures, because at that time there were no pictures, there were no video, there were we didn't have all, and it was not online. So the, you, you do have the ability now to get more in-depth investigation, to look at this, to scrutinize it. But these cases are weighed or will weigh right along with other cases around the country, such as the Tamir Rice shooting, which, again, was another tragic shooting where the community— and many professionals were like, this cop should go to jail. This cop should be charged. And the cop wasn't charged. In fact, uh, the Justice Department came out in a first time ever and went against the grain and, and, and made a call and said, hey, listen, under use of force and reasonable force and what is excessive force? And the, and, and the, and the Supreme Court still does not want to rule on exactly what excessive force. You use a proper amount of force to, ex to effectuate the arrest. But no one has established what, what is excessive within that force component. What about in the state of Connecticut after that excessive force bill a couple years ago? Is there a standard policy for all police departments in the state? So, good, you need that? Good question. So technically, no. In every particular municipality, Every police department has their general orders, and their general orders basically is the Bible. It is their rules, regulations, policies, and procedures within their department that keeps officers and holds them accountable within both state and federal law. So what does that mean? That means that when Malik Jones got shot and killed by the East Haven police officer, Emma Jones and the family and the community had an outcry. At that time, there were no statewide policy on pursuits, but a statewide policy was put in place on pursuits that says every municipality must have a pursuit policy. And if an officer violates the local police pursuit policy of their town, they will likely be in violation of the state pursuit policy and they could see criminal charges. But in the state of Connecticut right now, Whatever the use of force policy, let's just say, is for Bridgeport, New Haven may not be using that same policy. And whatever the use of force, and these are procedures, right? Whatever the use of force policy is in, say, Hamden, may not be being used in, say, Avon. So you say, what are you talking about? So what I'm talking about is uh, uh, my former department, New Haven, has a very stringent use of force policy. So if in New Haven you pull out your gun and you do a motor vehicle stop, pull out your gun and point it at that vehicle or point at the passenger, you have to fill out a form after and say why you pulled your gun out. 
Many de- other departments don't have that. You pull your gun out, you do what you got to do with it, you put your gun back in. So we don't have a uh, a, a standard force policy for the, for the state. Now, I have proposed this to uh, a few senators and legislators and, and some others that what we should do now at this point is you should what I call the metros, New Haven, Waterbury, Bridgeport, Hartford, and maybe even Danbury, maybe even Norwalk, that you establish a a, uni, a universal policy around taser, around uh, use of firearms w- with police and shootings, uh, around police pursuits, because we know these are the tricky areas that, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll go on the information that's already been put out that back, I believe it was like 2012, the state released a, a document um, around DMC, dis, uh, Disproportionate Minority Contact of Youth. And what they found were that minority youth went in contact with the police, found themselves to uh, find themselves to go to jail or incarceration to some degree or get arrested, opposed to non-black and Latino youth, uh, which were giving more like a diversionary programs of probation, et cetera. So we know that minority youth have a very high contact with police in a very negative way. So the way you can kind of mitigate that, there's a lot of different solutions too, by the way. I'm not suggesting this is the only solution. But the way you mitigate that is you have a standard use of force policy, which means that if I'm driving through uh, Meriden, I would hope that because I'm missing – I'm missing my front plate. I would hope that I would not be met with a firearm in my window. But if that department's policy uh, doesn't pretty much indicate or teach that even through their training academy, it is quite possible that if that officer says, well, I fear for my life because the windows were tinted, I know it's the front plate, but I can't see into your car, so therefore I'm going to take my gun out. Well, if you have policies that kind of mitigate that and say these are the circumstances where you should not do this, and then you can actually have some type of program in the schools that teach young people this, then you you start to make up ground of the meeting in the halfway. Shafiq Abdusabur is in the studio with me. He's a retired New Haven police sergeant, author of A Black Man's Guide to Law Enforcement in America. He's uh, in the studio today as we talk about the story of 15-year-old Jason Negron, who was killed by a Bridgeport police officer uh, eight months ago. Uh, we want to take some calls now as we talk about uh, how the community moves forward, um, how police can work uh, better with the public, and vice versa. You can join the conversation, 860 uh, Pollock is calling for from Bridgeport. I understand you're an organizer for the group Justice for Jason. Uh, tell us what you wanted to share. Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. So I wanted to address some of the discrepancies that were talked about earlier in the interview by the uh, Connecticut Post reporter. Uh, she repeated several times that Perez apologized profusely that he um, misspoke, but Perez didn't come out and correct his claims until an amateur video came out Mm -hmm. of Jason on the ground during his final moment. So we don't believe that Perez's apology was sincere. We don't believe that he misspoke. We believe that he lied um, and that if that video wasn't available, then that would have been the story that the family was given. Uh, And also the witness testimony that was given by Julian Fife, the passenger that was in the vehicle, was changed in the report. So initially he reported to the Connecticut Post that he didn't think that Um, use of force was justified, that it was just an accident um, and things like that. And that's available online for folks to read as well. Um, But for some reason in the report, his story has changed. 
Um, and he stated that he didn't even know Jason, even though he was referring to him as his little brother. So we believe that there is some degree of coercion in that statement. Um, and we also would like to point out that the video from the Walgreens wasn't released to the family, even though it was requested several times. Uh, we went to the police commission and asked them to conduct an independent investigation, which they have the power to do, and they said they weren't able to do so. Mayor Ganim allowed this to go on. Um, Perez allowed this to go on and blocked us from seeing the video. And the one that's available is greatly obscured, and we believe it's been tampered with. Um, Takina, so we have a number of concerns with this report, mm-hmm. and we're going to conduct our own review and release it in the coming days. I understand the, the, what you've said uh, on the air right now, but as far as uh, moving forward, um, what are some things that your organization wants to see, um, especially when we hear from uh, Shafiq about ways that uh, police departments can work uh, to avoid uh, this kind of tragedy happening in the future? Oh, absolutely. So our first step is to remove Acting Chief A.J. Perez from his post. Um, He is not qualified to be the chief of police in Bridgeport at present, and we would like to see a national search for a qualified um, person to be in that seat. And Mayor Ganim has the ability to do this, and if he wants to run for governor, then he should be able to reflect that he can run a city and keep us safe. Um, So that's our first step as a community. Our second step is to petition the Criminal Justice Commission to reopen this investigation, um, because there are just too many things that don't quite add up with all of this. Maureen Platt stated that um, she doesn't believe that Jason was trying to hurt this officer, but all an officer has to say is that they feared for their life and then a use of force is considered justified. Well, Takina, thank you for calling in. I wanted to get uh, Shafiq's perspective on what uh, Takina is saying, because there are community members who, uh, no matter what the decision was, uh, they're upset again that this uh, this uh, boy lost his life, and they may have they may have issues with how the investigation was carried out. But what what strikes you about uh, the conversation that continues to happen, um, and how again a community can learn from this so that there won't be more Jasons down the road? Yes, I, I think that her, you know, her points are, you know, well taken. You know, people are mad, people are upset, people are hurt. Um, you know, and people are trying to figure out, you know, what's next, what, what's what's going to happen? Am I safe? All of these different things. But, you know, this is a time that I and I would say this, having worked with families who of children of gun violence, and, and even in my own family, you know, let's not lose focus of the family. Let's not lose focus of the young people that know Jason, that knew him, that um, that miss him, that are being impacted. This is a time right now to help them properly get past this, because if you don't, then what we have is another generation of people moving forward that that are unable to resolve issues when impacted by the police. That's number one. The other thing is there's always this. Um, desire to let's remove the chief, let's get rid of the mayor, let's do these things um, because we want this now. And I'll take us back to Baltimore uh, during Freddie Gray. Baltimore during Freddie Gray, Freddie Gray dies. Uh, The police, uh, the community calls, they want justice. The youth, in a very miraculous historical way on Twitter, uh, creates a uh, coordinated rally protest riot. Uh, burn up stuff in the city and do all kinds of different things. 
the community leaders, black leaders are now put to task to say, hey, what are you going to do about this? They don't have the ground standing with the youth, so they got to go to the gang members and broker the the gang members as liaisons to the youth to get the youth to shut it down. Well, the cops get arrested, all seven of them, including lieutenants and sergeants, which really never happened before. So all the way up the chain of command, seven people get arrested. There's this big fight now between the mayor, the state's attorney's office, and the chief. The cops get arrested. The city is on fire. Um, And then the cops kind of back down because they don't want to get in trouble no more. They don't really know what to do. And in the end, you have the highest homicide rate over the next 30 days in the history of Baltimore since the Civil Rights Movement. So what does that mean? That means that somewhere that all got lost and the community still was left in jeopardy. Fast forward, the prosecutor gets into a beef with the mayor. The mayor says she doesn't going to run again. The chief finally steps down. You just got chaos. And we have to we have to remember the police department, especially for a lot of times for black and Latino communities because of the history that police have played, the role in the history that law enforcement have played in the lives of black and Hispanic people in the making of America. It's a negative often. It's not pleasant. But what you have to realize is the police is like the immune system of our community. And if our police department is fragmented, fractured, and not working properly, then our community falls ill to these things, gun violence, drug selling, uh, just total disconnect from the police, the inability. When we talk, hear about things like the Me Too, you know, there is a, a an extraordinarily number of disproportionate young people in our cities that have been molested, that are victims of sexual violence, that are victim of uh, teenage domestic violence. We want those young people to feel comfortable to be able to approach the police and tell the police that this is going on to me. But if that relationship has been impacted and frayed, then we re-victimize young people and we re-victimize a whole nother culture of people that are going to move forward. Shafiq Abdusabur is a retired New Haven police sergeant, author of A Black Man's Guide to Law Enforcement in America. Uh, we're going to ask Shafiq to, to stick around with us as well as Carolyn Vermont, a facilitator for Working for a Better Bridgeport. We want to continue to take your calls on a story that's important here, not only in Connecticut, but nationwide. Uh, how do we move forward uh, building uh, relationships between law enforcement and the public in light of the last three years with a heightened attention on fatal encounters between men of of color and the police. We want to hear from you. 860-275-7266. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the story of 15-year-old Jason Negron. Uh, on Friday, the Waterbury State's attorney released her decision after a, a long investigation by the Connecticut State Police that uh, the officer uh, that shot and killed Jason Negron in May of 2016 will not be charged. Uh, the state's attorney uh, looking at the evidence saying that uh, the use of force was justified. Uh, we Part of the reason we wanted to do this show was to allow the community to respond to this story. I wanted to take some calls now. Uh, Kate's calling from Bridgeport. Kate, you're on the show. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to comment on something that the sergeant said. He said that we should train youth how to interact with the police, and he is way off base with that. 
These are civil servants we're talking about, and they need to be trained how to properly and respectfully communicate with the people in the communities that they serve. Um, You know, what we are looking for is accountability and transparency, and that's clear that that is not what has happened since the Jason Negron incident from the very, very beginning. And instead of police officers escalating the situation, which they have done at every single peaceful action that has been brought to to bring more attention to the incident, we were met with um, a huge show of force, which escalated instead of de-escalated. So what we need from our police is some serious de-escalation training, anti-bias training, and we need to change these asinine laws that allow a child who's been murdered by the police to lay out in the street for six hours at a time. I'm sorry, this, you know, it takes this long to mobilize this and this long to mobilize that. That is not acceptable. Thank you, Kate, for your comments. I want to have Shafiq respond briefly before we take more calls. Yes, and and thank you for your comment. So I actually didn't talk about training youth. That was actually Caroline. um, But I actually would support, um, which is one reason I wrote the book, A Black Man's Guide to Law Enforcement in America, because it is a very detailed approach that young people can gain insight on how the police operate and how they can best equip themselves with coping skills, that you're right, in an incident where the police may not have the training or the ability or the consciousness at the time to de-escalate, there's ways that young people, in and, and particularly minorities, can approach the police under those circumstances to make sure it doesn't escalate. On the other end, I will say, regarding the law, you are exactly right. I actually drafted a, a, a bill that I've passed on to uh, some of the state legislators, and it's called the Death with Dignity uh, Clause. And what it would do is it would allow that the state, anywhere in the state when somebody dies at the hand of the police, that emergency unit can come and remove the body and actually take it to the hospital where it would not have to lay out there for an extended period of time. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The next call that I want to take, uh, Jasmine Melendez is calling from Bridgeport. Uh, Jasmine, I understand you're Jason Negron's sister. Um, yes, I am. First of all, we're sorry uh, about the death of your brother. What did you want to share today? Um, I thought that um, the previous officer that was speaking, he was saying that we should bring it back to the family, but then got really off topic about um, almost a term that is falsely used over and over again, which is community policing. And he was making it seem like the community has this Uh, persona on police officers, but we need to work with them. But I think that he's not viewing the reason why our community is seeing the police officers the way that they do. Um, The way they treated Jason, the way that the community is treating Jason, the way that acting chief of police, AJ Perez, treated my family and Jason following his entire murder is completely disgusting. It's awful. And I think that we definitely have the right to um, call him out and ask for him to be um, removed from his acting position. Well, Jasmine, thank you uh, for your comments. Uh, Shafiq, did you want to respond to yes, Jasmine? And then Jasmine, I also wanted to hear from Carolyn Vermont before the end. Uh, Jasmine, my condolences go out to you and your family, and I can certainly understand with that. And, and you have every right to feel the way you feel and every right to re- request what you want. What I would say to you, um, and, I, and I have not used the term community policing because I try to sh- shy away from that right now. Um, but what I would suggest to you is that, you know, championing your brother's death, and champion this incident that has happened to leave a legacy behind for your brother's death. So um, I can tell you how I've tried to champion it is to 
push this death with dignity clause um, bill that is just a simple bill that says, look, you can remove somebody when this incident happens. I think that we need more work. And and what I would say to you, Jasmine, is um, go talk to the mayor at Bridgeport directly. Have a direct meeting with that mayor and have some things laid out and say, I would like to see these things happen now and I would like to see these things happen in the future. I'm, I'm wondering if... And I know that uh, Dr. Akbar is uh, is excellent there, but like Bridgeport, like New Haven, like the other metros, there needs to be money set aside from the state that when these particular situations happen, that those schools are staffed heavily with, um, you know, um, um, counselors and, and people that those young people can call on. But I would say, no, no one, and certainly myself, would never try to put to bed this incident where this is not going to be something we can sweep under the rug to make it better. Carolyn Vermont um, stayed with us again. She's a community leader, facilitator for working for a better Bridgeport. Carolyn, we heard from several callers, including a member of Jason Negron's family. Again, uh, there's a, there's a still a lot of emotion in the community. The story doesn't end with this uh, state's attorney releasing this decision. Uh, where do you go from here? So again, you know, right now we are going moving forward, um, and we're going through a healing process right now. I mean, you know, I did stop at the rally uh, that took place on Friday and spoke to a couple of um, the activists who were in a leadership role for those rallies, and, you know, they basically felt that there is no justice for Jason and that they will continue um, on this journey for justice. Uh, In the meantime, you know, overall, as a community, we do have to, you know, go through this healing process. Again, at the end of the day, we, we lost a member of our community. We lost the youth. So, you know, part of our work with Working for a Better Bridgeport, um, one of the outcomes of the group is reinstituting some of the community policing strategies that have been successful in the past. I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. I want to thank Carolyn Vermont, also Shafiq Abdusabar, a retired New Haven police chief, sergeant, author of A Black Man's Guide to Law Enforcement in America. Uh, We thank our listeners for calling in, and we'd like to do a show in Bridgeport coming up. Please uh, let us know where we should go in Bridgeport to have this discussion. Again, it doesn't end here. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, uh, senior producer Lydia Brown produced today's show. Thanks for listening.